Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Today we're on an episode that explores another fantastic story of an adventurer, someone out there creating amazing and interesting adventures with their life. Today we're speaking with Mina Gooley. After being pushed into a swimming pool and receiving a back injury where the doctors told her that she would never be able to run again, Mina Gooley could have used this as an excuse to define her life with limitations and boundaries defined by victimhood. Instead, she said to herself, am I going to let this doctor define what I do with the rest of my life? The answer was no. She started swimming, then biking, then running. And today, Mina has done what is known as the Six Rivers Run and the Seven Deserts Run. She has done this to push herself, and she cried and struggled in these gargantuan feats, which she'll tell us about. She also founded a nonprofit called Thirst, a topic that is close to her heart, bringing attention to the water issues around the world. And she's combined her tremendous runs with her desire to make the world better and to help people understand the plight of water issues around the world. I'll let Mina tell her story. Stay tuned for my interview with an absolutely amazing woman who has run her way across the world despite the odds. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with and making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. So, Mina, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I have given you the smallest introduction. How about I let you tell the listeners your story? Can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, thanks, Laurie. It's a great pleasure to be able to chat to you um, and to share my story, actually, because I think that in stories we find truth and in truth we find ourselves. Mm. So um, my story, actually, um, people look at me now and I've done all this running and I know you did the introduction and talked a bit about the fact that I've done so much sport. And the reality is when I grew up as a little kid in Australia, I was not that sporty one. I didn't have friends. I was ostracized. I sat in the corner. I was the last person to be picked for a sports team. You know, I had a pretty tough time interacting with other people. Where I am now is a very different person to where I was then. And I think part of the journey and part of the story that I'll share with you now is the process of understanding who I am and being okay with that and saying, the people that I want to have in my life are a reflection of who I am now and they're a reflection of the person I am and that's been a process and I think in all of our lives coming to terms with who we are is a process and realizing that we need a tribe of supporters, a tribe of people around us who support us and encourage us, don't detract and criticize, I think is, is really important. I grew up in Australia. My dad was Italian and my mom was Australian. I think at the time I had real trouble coming to terms with my upbringing, but in retrospect, I am so incredibly fortunate and grateful to my parents for giving me an insight into the rest of the world. 
And I wish mm. I'd appreciated it more at the time. I think that's pretty standard. You know, I, I look at my kids and I look at me when I was a child and so many of the things that we get or opportunities we have, we don't even begin to realize how fabulous they are until later. You know, I don't think it's just when we're kids. I think it's obvious when we're kids and when we're adults, we also don't realize it. I think many times we're so busy running forward with our lives. We don't stop to pause and say, this is an incredible opportunity that I've got here and I'm so enormously fortunate to have it and I'm just going to stop and be mindful for a moment and appreciate it before moving on. Mm, yeah, great thing to remember that that mindfulness and being aware and being present is such an important part of being able to live the best story because you're in touch with where you are instead of having anxiety about the future or regret about the past. You're, you're present and in a beautiful place when you can be there. Yeah, Laura, it's really interesting because when I was training for my first expedition when I ran across the desert, I listened to music all the time. Every time I went out for a run, I would listen to music, I'd bop along. And then when I ran in the desert, I stopped listening to music and I just listened to nature. I listened to people, I talked to people, mm. I participated and I was really mindful. And when I came back and I was training for the Six Rivers, I listened to podcasts. And then my brain was always thinking and instead of bopping along, I'd be you know, cogitating and thinking really deep thoughts. And again, when I got to the rivers, I stopped and I listened to nature. Now, every time I go out for a run, I just listen to myself. I listen to my own mind. I listen to my own thoughts. And I actively participate in my surroundings. And I have a completely different experience, a much deeper and richer experience being mindful and in the moment. Wow, that's so fascinating. I'm glad you shared that. That's actually really interesting. When I'm out and I don't run any, I, just, I don't even run. So <laughs> but if I'm walking the dog, if I'm walking the dog or, or uh, biking or doing something like that, and I'm listening to podcasts or music, I always do that. That's, that's a great space for me. So I really like that idea of, of being with yourself in your own mind. And just so the listeners understand, you recently completed a tremendous feat, your, your Run for Water campaign that took you around the world, essentially running 40 marathons in 40 days. And I didn't say that in the introduction, but that's what it boils down to, right? That's exactly right. So I ran 40 marathons in 40 days, which is kind of weird being not a runner and then going to say to people, wait, 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 I'm not a runner. <laughs> I'm not this crazy ultra distance person that loves to run. Actually, I hate running. <laughs> I really don't like it. It's not fun. Who would like running like 40 marathons in 40 days? What you do that for fun? Are you serious? No way. So, you know, it is a bit weird when I hear people say that. It just seems so unreal that I did it. Why, if you hate it? Because I wanted to raise awareness about the water crisis and it was really, it became clear to me that going back foot into these different places, going and doing something that was completely extreme but allowed me to connect with people all over the world was a really great way to, first of all, understand and learn about these water stories on the ground in different places at a really grassroots, visceral level. And the second is because it enables me to grab media attention and to use the media to leverage and expose my message about saving water.
So you're talking about all the interesting places you've been. Tell us about those. Where did you run these? You did six of the world's major rivers on six continents, right? Yeah, that's right. So I started at the Colorado, which you know well, um, in the U.S. And um, I ran down there and then I went to the Amazon. And the Amazon was an incredible experience. Um, it is a place where the people talk about the Amazonian forest being the lungs of the world. And you really feel rich for being there. You feel like you're breathing in this oxygen. Mm. But you are completely drenched the entire time because it's a rainforest, of course. So there's lots and lots and lots and lots of rain. Mm. And um, one of the days, one of our guides said to us, you know, Mina, all of this rain is coming from the trees. I said, yeah, of course, it's a rainforest. And he said, no, the water has come directly out of the leaves of the trees. Let me show you. So um, we'd run about 23 kilometers that day and we jumped on boats. So in most of the places we were, in most of the rivers we were in, our support crew was um, in cars. But of course in the Amazon, it's a bit hard to drive a car. So our support crew were boats up and down the Amazon River. These long local boats are amazing. So we jumped in the boat and we pushed up the river to a little embankment. We got out and roped ourselves up to the branch of a 250-year-old tree and proceeded to climb up the tree. Now, I am not like a crazy person who loves hanging off trees and rock climbing and abseiling. I am petrified in these circumstances. So the entire time I'm like, are you sure this is a good idea? Are you sure this is a good idea? Is this rope going to hold? I'm thinking, I'm in the Amazon, I'm in Brazil. I'm relying on these local people and their ropes and their little ratchets and mm. these kind of helmets that don't smell my head right, bright orange colour. And I'm literally hanging 120 feet off the ground in this tree or more. And I think to myself, what am I doing? Anyway, eventually, amid tears and complaints and fear, growth fear, I hoist myself up to a branch, which I'm grabbing onto to be alive. And the guy says, Mina, look, look, look out, look out. And I look out across the tops of the Amazon and all I can see in all directions is green treetops, multicolored green, green in so many different colors of green that I have never seen before in my life. And I looked out at the top and I thought, this is just an unbelievable privilege and an unbelievable opportunity and makes me realize the enormity and preciousness of this incredible resource that we have. And what was amazing is that it looked like the trees were on fire. It looked, as an Australian, I'm very aware of fire, right? If anything is smoky above the treetops, immediately every alarm bell rings. And I looked out across the treetops and I just saw this smoke rising from the top of the trees. But what, what, is, the, what is the smoke? Is, is there a fire? He said, no, the trees are transpiring and that water vapor that's going out into the atmosphere that will condense into clouds and that's the rain that's falling on you right now. So when you complain about that rain, that's the water that's come out of the trees. Wow. And we call that flying rivers. We call those clouds that form the water that's contained in those clouds and the water that gets blown all over Brazil from the Amazonian rainforest. He said, we call those flying rivers and they are the source of water for most of Brazil. Wow. 
wow oh my gosh just picturing as you were talking um so magical that's crazy it was a truly magical moment really oh. amazing I'll bet you yeah. had a number of moments like that as you made your way across the world into different places. What, what were the other places that you went to? Oh, Lord, I have so many stories. I can't, you know, <laughs> don't, <laughs> sure. don't give me time to tell you all my stories. <laughs> um, so in that trip, that was the Amazon. And from the Amazon, we went to um, Australia, to the Murray Darling. And I ran down some of the canals. The Murray Darling River is very interesting because it crosses through a number of different states of Australia. And traditionally, there's been a lot of fighting over the resources in the river. So if you live upstream, of course, you have access to a lot of water. So it doesn't matter how much water you waste. You can use sprinklers on your crops in the middle of the day. You can have, you can have uncovered channels of irrigation. You can just literally pour water everywhere. And who cares? Because there's plenty. If you were downstream... There is very little. And in fact, for many years, the Murray Darling didn't reach the ocean. And because the farmers downstream had literally no water, what happens is that salt leaches out of the ground. So when you looked across the ground, it would look as if it had been snowing, when in fact it was in a 40 or 50 degrees Celsius, that 100, mm -hmm. 110 degrees Fahrenheit. And it was the salt that was leaching out of the ground that was causing this white crusty covering we have that here in utah yeah flats. okay yeah. so you know exactly what i'm talking about so what happens is that the government from these states all got together and said we have to solve this problem we can't continue to waste the water upstream and deprive the farmers downstream of their ability to have a livelihood so they created a river sharing agreement which allowed trading of water rights so what it does is it allocates rights to farmers upstream and downstream it creates those rights in a way that can be traded so farmers can buy and sell these rights. So if I need more water, I'll buy more water rights. If mm. I don't need as much water, I can sell my water rights. So it effectively incentivizes these farmers to be more efficient in the way that they use water. As a consequence, the Murray-Darling now reaches the ocean and farmers up and down the river have enough water for their crops, for their cattle, for their other animals. And it's really become a hallmark of of good water management around the world and I met one of these farmers we stayed on her property and around the bonfire one night she was telling me and explaining that she's a third generation farmer her name is Chrisom and she has really created this incredibly efficient system of managing water because the second most expensive input to the farm is water so she's very aware and she's installed all these water efficiency measures and ways of doing things better. She chats to the other farmers. They all talk about how to increase their water efficiency. So it's been an, a really amazing way of both managing water and ensuring sufficient water supply for local communities, but also incentivizing people to use water better. Sounds like they're making progress. You know, we deal with a lot of that in the Western United States also. If people don't know, actually, that the vast majority of water that we use every day is not when we turn off the tap. It's not when we brush our teeth. It's not taking showers. The vast majority of the water that we use every single day goes into the things we use, buy, and consume. So, for example, the outfit that you're probably wearing, Laurie, it's probably a great pair of shoes and awesome pants or a skirt or a dress or a shirt. The phone that you're talking to me on right now, all of those things took more water to make 
than all the water we have drunk in our entire lifetime. Oh, that's interesting, isn't all it? All that took more water than all the water we've drunk in our lifetime. Wow. Yeah. So when you start thinking about that, the question starts to become, okay, what am I using the water in my state, in my river? What am I buying? What, where does my stuff really come from? And in the case of California, for example, a lot of the water that's being used goes into growing feedstock for cattle. Mm. A lot of water that's being used in the Amazon, for example, the deforestation of the Amazon for soybeans is going not for soybeans for human consumption. It's actually going for feedstock for pigs. Interesting. So for those of people that eat, yeah, that eat hamburgers, every hamburger is the same as taking a shower for two hours. Oh, wow. See, that, and that's the kind of thing that I don't think we ever stop to think about very much. And it sounds like as you've been on these adventures, not only did you get to run down these rivers, but you also met with water experts and came to understand the rivers and the water situation better. So not only were you able to draw attention to it, but you also, it sounds like, learned a great deal about the water issues around the world. Yeah, the entire purpose of, of these runs is actually not the running part. I do the running because it's a vehicle to tell a story. Uh, I'm much more, my passion is about water. The thing that drives me is water. I want to leave a world for the next generation where there's enough water for everyone forever. Mm. And so that drives me to really understand better what's going on in the world, to identify stories, to work with people to tell their stories. Because it's in telling these stories that I think that people, the rest of us understand the real enormity of this water crisis. The people like Yusuf who live in Jordan. Um, Jordan is rated second or third, depending on the year, most water scarce country in the world. They have huge issues with water. In fact, I was there and there was a sprinkling of rain when I arrived and the people were literally out on the streets like, celebrating the fact that there was this huge rainstorm. I said, mm. it drizzled. It's like, <laughs> oh, well, we haven't seen rain for months and months. You don't understand, Mina. It's so, 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 so dry. And we're in the middle of the desert one night and um, surrounded by this incredibly amazing landscape. It's biblical in its beauty. And it's actually pink. So, it's you know, when we're in the deserts, we gave every desert a colour. And Jordan, which was the second desert we went to, was really a beautiful, rich pink colour of sand and huge stone walls that would rise above us as I, as I ran through these chasms. It was amazing. And so we're sitting under the stars one night uh, with the fire roaring and Yusuf said to me, Nina, I'm so grateful to you for doing this run. We all here owe a debt of gratitude to you because water is the biggest issue facing our society. Without water, we die. Mm. And I sat there and I said, yeah, Yusuf, I know this why I'm here hurting myself to do this. And he said, Mina, I am afraid. I am afraid that the next world war will be fought not over terrorism or oil, but it will be fought over water. Mm. And I'm worried that we'll run out, maybe not in my lifetime, but definitely in my children's lifetime. So... What, what were some of the biggest challenges during 
during these campaigns, as you went from country to country and were in these places, these these deserts and these rainforests, um, what did what were the challenges of your story? So what what's amazing, what's interesting is as you go on these incredibly tough journeys, physically tough, mentally tough, emotionally tough, you go through a series of phases. And I can tell you what happens. The first one is when you start out, you feel strong, everything is is okay, everything is new and fresh and exciting and it's amazing. So you start off and the first thing that happens is you become physically exhausted. Running a marathon day after day, for anyone, especially not a runner and not someone who's built to run. Like there are some people whose bodies are built strong Mm. and healthy and able to run. Mine breaks. Skinny little like waif. (laughs) I seem not built like that. And I break. We didn't talk about your accident, your injury back in the beginning. So I feel like we're kind of, we're piecing this together. I'm, I'm afraid that I've got you all over the place here. But can you tell us a little bit about your back injury? What happened and how you actually got on the path to, and, and I'm tying both of these questions together here, but how you got on that path that this path that you're speaking about now, this where running isn't comfortable for you, but you still do it anyway. Okay, so as I, I mentioned um, in the beginning of this, that I grew up like normal kid and not, you know, doing any sport. And uh, when I was at university, I decided I was going to try and do some things that were outdoors and meet people and really, you know, develop a network of friends. And so we were one day um, playing a game of canoe polo, so that you get in these little white canoe bats and you paddle around in a swimming pool. Okay, it's a crazy thing to do. So um, we, we were out of the pool and we're standing around the edge and one of the guys said, oh, wouldn't it be funny if I pushed you in? And I said, don't joke around pools. You know, we live in a country where there's water everywhere in terms of like swimming pools and ocean and things. And I said, look, you know, don't push me in, don't push me in. He did push me into the pool and as I as I went in, my back hit the edge of, of the pool, caused me immense amounts of pain. And as I was uh, sitting with the doctor afterwards, he said to me, you need to understand that you'll never be able to run again. And I looked up at him, this guy I will never forget, white hair, white lab coat, white everything. And I just looked at him and I thought, who am I to let someone else determine the limits of what I can and can't do. Mm. If I take this moment now and I allow somebody else to create my future, I'll never be able to do the things that I want to do. And so I got up and I said, I'm going to start. What do I need to do? And so I started swimming. At that stage, um, I thought I was this awesome swimmer because I just swim two laps before. And I would walk around university going, oh, I'm so awesome, I can swim. <laughs> One of my friends came up to me and said, um, Mina, you think you can swim, but so why don't you come to swim training with us tomorrow morning? I said, sure, no problem. I'm like, did you know that swimmers swim at 5 a.m. in the morning? 5 a.m., are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, of course I'm there. So I'm there at 5 a.m. I swim two laps, they swim 10 kilometers, um, which is like, you know, five miles. And that was the beginning of my introduction to the power of desire and determination, resilience, and having people around you that can support you and encourage you to achieve what you want to achieve. Because those people in that pool that day, they never criticized. 
They never told me I couldn't do it. All they did is say, do another Latmina, do another Latmina. Mm. You know, fast forward to, to, now, to today and I ran across seven deserts. I ran 40 marathons in 40 days and, you know, and now it's become sport and being healthy and fit and strong has become part of my life. So I think I look back now and say, in our lives, there are events which change us, events which try us, events which test us, even more so with how I chose to react to mm. it at the time when the doctor had told me, no, you can't. I think that these events in our lives are catalytic in how they either cause us to retreat or cause us to stand up and confront the issue and, and move on and become a better version of ourselves. You know, that is so beautifully said because literally one of the things that we're talking about on the podcast all the time is how we are the hero of our own stories and that through our actions, through how we choose to interpret and to create our own story is literally the reality that unfolds before us. And you are a really lovely example of this. When you're faced with these challenges, you have two options to continue wallowing in your own pity or to rise up and to say, okay, that was what it was, it is what it is, and now what am I gonna do next? And I think that that element of what am I gonna do next, that's what defines who we are, and that defines what we are mm. as people. And in, in the case of running, it's very obvious that those moments arise. When I set up my nonprofit um, in China, those moments arose many times along the way as well. I don't think I recognized it because they weren't so critical and so obvious and so in my face. But the number of times that people said, you can't do this, you can't set up um, a non-profit in China, you can't create a social movement in China, they'll shut you down, you'll end up in prison, we'll be bailing you out, um, or you'll get thrown out of the country. And you know what? None of those things happened. So we set up first um, in 2012, we launched, and the idea was that we would educate young people across China. So in 2012, we educated 10,000 people. Everybody else is celebrating and all I can think of is how can I change the world with 10,000 people. <laughs> um, turns out with 10,000 of the right people, you can do amazing things. So what started off being 10,000 people has become an organization that now spans across China. We have offices in Beijing, Shanghai, Chongqing and Hong Kong. And this year, in the first six months of this year alone, we educated over one million kids. Wow. So we've grown from 10,000 to over a million. Well, this year, this, this year I think we'll top one and a half million um, kids at least by the end of the year. We have an innovation competition, which is a, a prize that these kids compete for. That um, They have to come up with ideas to solve the water crisis. So right now they're spending their summer vacation. 400,000 kids are spending their summer vacation mm. coming up with solutions to the water crisis in China. So. Wow. You know, that, that was one of those things that I just said, we need to do something. The fastest growing consumer economy in the world is China. I told you how much water goes into our stuff. I'm horrified that we don't know that. And so I thought, well, I can try changing the United States or Australia, but why don't I try to change the fastest growing consumer economy, China? And that's what we're doing. What's really interesting is that now the companies are responding so now we're working with companies across the world to develop and understand how we can develop um, products that use water more efficiently. So whether it's sustainable cotton or organic cotton, whether it's reduction of food waste, um, whether it's reduction of any waste. And 
using and using water more efficiently right throughout the supply chain. So I think that you know what became what was a crazy idea sketched on a whiteboard in 2012. Literally, it wasn't even a whiteboard. We couldn't afford it. It was a piece of glass that we stuck on the wall. <laughs> Hope would never fall off. That was a, it was literally a crazy idea. I said, what if we can really make this happen? And we are. And the part of running, the way running fits into all of this is because you can't change the world through one country alone. One country is a great start, but we need to mobilize people around the world to understand we have a water crisis. We need to share stories about water and we need to really create an understanding of the fact that our consumption patterns are draining the wealth water supplies faster than they can be replenished. So fast that by 2030, there's going to be a 40% difference between demand and supply for water. And that is why I ran 40 marathons in 40 days to highlight this 40% issue because I'm terrified that unless we create change, we're going to leave a terrible world for the next generation. And I, for one, am not prepared for that to happen. Well, you are an absolute powerhouse. When you think about how many kids, like you just said, 400,000 kids spending their summer vacation coming up with ideas on how to help alleviate the water crisis, and you're dealing with it in the country where the most production is going on. And one of the things that I am really big on is how how each of us have so much impact on the world around us, how the things that we do start ripples that affect the world and affect other people and affect things that we'll never even know about. And what you're doing, when I say powerhouse, I absolutely mean that because what you are doing is not only sending out ripples, but you have a half a million people on your team here that are also sending out ripples. That is tremendously powerful. And you're creating this story. All of the things, as I look at this and as I speak to you, your life, your overcoming the project, the water crisis, all of that, getting these people moving behind you, all of the media and the effort that you've put into the actual runs across the world, that's tremendous. I mean, what you're doing is not small on anybody's radar. I mean, absolutely fascinating and powerful and huge. And thank you for sharing it with us. Thanks, Laurie. I think a lot of people I meet, they're like, well, how do you do that? It's amazing. And they say, actually, it, amazing is within all of us. Mm-hmm. I just chose to get out there and take a risk and surround myself with people. You know, remember at the beginning, I said, you know, I was this kid, I didn't have many friends. I've realized over the course of my life that every one of us has greatness inside. You know, we read it, we listen to it, we hear that, and we think, yeah, maybe, but it's not inside me. The reality is it really truly is. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. You can achieve your dreams. It's just a matter of sitting down and saying, I can do this. And every day looking in the mirror saying, I can do it. And when things come up against you, it defines you about who you are, how you approach that. So bad things happen. Bad things happen to everybody. It's how we confront that that shapes our future. The thing that I want everybody to know is, okay, I've done amazing things, but you can do that too. I'm not anybody special. You don't have to be anyone to be someone. You just have to be you, really true to you. And if you're true to you, you can achieve anything. 
Well, and you know what's beautiful about that is that each individual has a whole set of special gifts and strengths and things that are very specific to who they are, which means they, everybody can affect the world in a really powerfully different and individual way. And all of those ways are needed. Yeah. And I think also surrounding yourself with people that say you can do it, finding your tribe, finding the group of people that will support you and encourage you, your mentors, your family, your friends, whoever it is that Mm -hmm. says, yes, I believe. Because I've got to tell you, there are many, many times going through your journey when you'll think, I can't do this. You're staring into abyss, an abyss of fear and the unknown. And you know you have to take that step and you have to go in and fight that battle. But at the end of the day, sometimes you just need a little push. Mm. And that's what friends are for. If people want to follow you and get involved with your work, um, where can they find you? My website is minaguli.com, M-I-N-A-G-U-L-I.com. Otherwise, I'm also on Facebook at Mina Gooley Water. Of course, water because I'm passionate about it. So Mina Gooley Water is my Facebook and my Twitter handle is Mina Gooley. Okay. And I will put all of those in the show notes too. So you can go to the website, www.loveyourstorypodcast.com. And all the show notes there with Mina's contact information will be available. Mina, thank you so much for sharing part of your story with us. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for, you know, can I also just say telling stories is really incredibly important and everybody has a story to tell. So thank you for helping the world tell their stories. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you. I love this interview with Mina Gooley because she is the epitome of what we so often discuss on this podcast. She is an example of a woman who doesn't let fear, doesn't let injury, hasn't let the obstacles of life get in her way. Not only is she standing up for what she believes in, but she's making a world movement. She is putting her feet down on the ground, running despite the fact that she doesn't love it, across those deserts, down these rivers, to draw attention to something that is important to her. She overcomes pain, she overcomes obstacles to make her statements, to draw attention to the water situation in the world. You can see it in her personal life, in her personal story, and you can see it in the work that she's trying to do on this level for making the world better. How much she believes in surrounding yourself with a good supportive environment, how much she believes in not letting obstacles stop you and get in the way, how much she believes in herself and her ability to create a difference and how much she believes in others and all of our ability to be able to create the life story that we can imagine, that we want to imagine, that we want to live so that when we come to die, we do not find that we haven't lived. Thank you for joining us on this interview today. I hope that it's inspired and empowered and brought some insights to you and Again, go to the website, www.loveyourstorypodcast.com for the show notes, for t-shirts, for commenting. Um, We'd love to hear from you. And we'll see you next week on the next episode. Have fun out there creating your story and create the best story that you can.